There is an ideology called cultural Marxism that seeks to destroy the traditional institutions of Western civilization. Part of its strategy is to label certain successful people as oppressors and everyone else as the oppressed. Uh, it's evil and we should oppose it, but we must not allow uh, the abuse of uh, power and oppression to desensitize us to the real abuse and oppression that does occur. Uh, we're going to talk about the, that today as we continue our study of the book of Ecclesiastes. Thanks for joining us. Uh, I'm a little bit late. Actually, I started on time and uh, <laughs> ran into my first technical difficulty as I've been doing this live streaming thing for uh, just one week. And so I appreciate uh, your patience, and I think everything is working now as it should. Uh, if you can, uh, if you wouldn't mind just putting something in the chat to let me know that you are able to see, that would be uh, helpful. And uh, if you are catching this later because you uh, were here on time and I wasn't, um, I apologize. My name is Doug Gooden. I am the president of Cross to Crown Ministries and New Covenant School of Theology. And my goal in these uh, in this uh, morning study that we do is to help you really understand the Word of God, apply it to your lives, to serve Christ faithfully, and to know how to study it for yourself. And so that's what we're going to do here on this uh, Tuesday morning, November 2nd. I hope that you are out and uh, or will get out today and vote. Uh, I see Carol Mers is on and John Anglin. Thank you all for letting me know that you made it. And again, I apologize uh, for the technical difficulty. I learned something. I won't uh, make that mistake again, hopefully, although you know how things work. I probably will. Before we get started with our study, I want to do as I do every morning, and that is to remind you that today's a good day. Today is a really good day because we have hope in Christ, because no matter what season of life it is, the Lord has blessed us. So I'm going to say my part, and then you say your part. Today is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Let's drink our sanctified sip of coffee together and taste the Lord's goodness. Ah, that's good. That's good. All right, so as we continue uh, Ecclesiastes, uh, remember, uh, Solomon has repeated this refrain over and over again, that the best thing for man in the midst of all the things in life is to find joy in what we do, uh, to, um, uh, to not try to figure everything out, but to find that, that contentment in our work, knowing that uh, we are not the one in control of what happens. And it's, can be. I, I, as we've gone through this, I have stressed that it's not a depressing book. Solomon did, did not write Ecclesiastes with the desire to uh, depress us. Actually, he's showing us the path to true joy. But he's also not naive to the hard things of life. Uh, this is not a kesara sara attitude that he's promoting. This is not a, oh, just, you know, uh, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade kind of a thing. That, that's not a Christian worldview. There is real pain and suffering and hurt. There is a time for mourning. There's a time for death. There's a time for tearing down. There's a time for hate. There's a time for war. All of those things he acknowledges, which we saw in chapter three, for instance. So the first part of today's passage here as we begin chapter 4, it's pretty sobering, 
and it's it's real and we need to make sure that we look reality in the face so let's uh let's take a look at it together here again this is uh ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 1 says then i looked again at all the acts of oppression which were being done under the sun pause and think for a moment have you seen real oppression now, this is hard. As I, as I said at the beginning, there's this worldview that is trying to make oppressors out of uh, all of us, at least who are white males, you know, that we are the, we're the, the top of the intersectional uh, pyramid or the center of the intersectional uh, hub and, and everyone outside of that white, Christian, uh, cisgendered, heterosexual, able-bodied male, everyone else is considered oppressed, and, and we have to be on guard against that. So they, they really are trying to destroy uh, Western civilization, and they're going after the church and the family and all of that. But, but if you can set all the abuse aside for a moment, have you seen real oppression? Uh, I don't know that I've seen a lot of it. Um, we, the Lord has blessed, he has prospered Western civilization. Now in other parts of the world, uh, I think there's a lot more of it than maybe what we see here. But do you know of some real situations where those in power are, are crushing uh, those who they control? Uh, as, as we hear people today talking about slavery and the modern day slavery that's taking place in America, I, I, I think I saw Colin Kaepernick. Uh, talking about the NFL uh, training camps or something being like slavery. And, and I don't know, does he have a, like a Netflix um, documentary out or something? I think I just saw some of that briefly and I haven't uh, had time to look into it. So I don't know if, if that's true. I don't know if I'm just uh, remembering a headline and, you know, you can't really trust headlines and, and uh, media today on any side of things. But if in any way he compared these millionaires in, uh, in pro football to slavery, it is a real profaning of American slavery from the 19th century. That was real oppression. Uh, when I went through the Understanding the Times series last summer and, uh, and went through um, uh, the cultural Marxism and all that's going on today, one of the points I was making is we as Christians should look back at American slavery and we should be appalled. We should be appalled that there were Christians who owned slaves and who thought that it was okay, that the, how, how their consciences did not um, weigh them down. I, I don't know. Uh, that's one of the scars on Christianity, and, and it's just, it is, and on Americans. It's just true. And there's no way to look back on what was going on then with, with anything but disgust and disdain, at least for that aspect of it. And I know even all of that has been politicized and, and uh, we can't read everything, uh, trust everything we read about it. But it's pretty clear that uh, Christian men, white men, owned black slaves, and, th and that's appalling. So when people today compare uh, what's going on in America today with slavery, with that, it, it, they're just profaning, they're, they're, they're minimizing what it was like back then, and we must not allow that to take place in our head. Uh, what is the real oppression, oppression going on today? There is some of it. I would put abortion in that uh, category. 
as they are innocent, they are as these babies in the wombs of their mothers are um, powerless to do anything about it, and they are being killed. Uh, what we're doing to our inner cities. I read an interesting book last year called um, Please Stop Helping Us. I think that's the title by uh, Jason Riley, I believe. I'll, uh, I'll look it up and put it in the, in the show notes when we get done here. And it was this, uh, this black man talking about the government and how uh, all the government help, quote unquote, for uh, poor black families in the inner cities actually is oppressive to, to those people because it's, uh, it's basically enslaving them to poverty, making them dependent on the government. And it sure seems like some of that is on purpose. Uh, that might be a form of, of actual oppression when the government, when those in power uh, are keeping the poor poor and dependent on them. Uh, John Anglin says he's pro-life. Yeah, thanks. I'm, I'm glad, to see, glad to see that, hear that. We must be pro-life as, uh, as Christians in this day and, and stand up to the oppressive oppressed in uh, in the womb and in inner cities and anywhere else that we see it. Solomon looks at all the acts of oppression that are being done under the sun and he says here, behold, I saw the tears of the oppressed and that they had no one to comfort them. Uh, this is why the pro-life movement is so important because we need to be those who will stand up uh, for those who are powerless. And he says, on the side of their oppressors was power, but they had no one to comfort them. That's what happens over and over again. Those who have real power, and that's usually the government, uh, kings of old, and today it's, it's, our, it's our government, both at the uh, federal and the state level. And as they continue to pass bills, as they continue to, um, to create laws and a, a culture that just feeds their own power and protects their own, uh, we should be cynical. We should be skeptical of those in power. You know, our system is totally different than the way the founding fathers established it. Um, I remember uh, reading John, uh, Patrick Henry as he he rued the day that we ever paid politicians, and of course now they are wealthy, and they want to protect their wealth. And uh, there are exceptions, no doubt, at every level. But there's also a lot of corruption in the government, and when they have the power. And in the name of justice, when they are oppressing those under their control, uh, that's the kind of thing Solomon is talking about. Remember we saw yesterday, he said, in the place of righteousness, I saw wickedness. In the place of justice, I saw wickedness. When you have the judicial branch and the legislative branch, um, all three branches together who are uh, not truly protecting those who are oppressed, and flipping on its head and now calling uh, righteous people unrighteous, calling us the oppressors, uh, it's a sad state. And uh, we, we seem to be moving that direction quickly. And Solomon sees this kind of thing even in his day. This is not new to 21st century America or the West or Australia uh, or uh, any of the other nations that are further down the path than we are. This is not new. Solomon saw it and he said uh, he, he wept for them. Then he says here in verse two, so I congratulated the dead who are already dead more than the living who are still living. 
He looks at it and sees all of this. When those in power are crushing those under their control, no one's giving them comfort. He's weeping over it, but no one else is. And he says, it's better off if you were, uh, if you're already dead and don't have to live through this. Now, again, I don't know, we're not there yet, by and large, in America. So let's not go further than is reasonable. But I think back again to American slavery. Think about that time. If, if you were able to somehow go back in time and, uh, and, and hover over and see what was happening as masters mistreated their slaves, for instance, you, could, you wonder why they didn't just take their own lives. Um, you could see why anybody would come to the conclusion that it's better not to be living than to be treated that way. And, and again, uh, we think about modern day abortion very similarly. In fact, he goes a step further here and he says, verse three, better off than both the living and the dead is the one who's never existed. The one who has never seen the evil activity that is done under the sun. Uh, again, this is not a, a true nihilistic, fatalistic worldview. He's just looking at the reality of how hard it is to be treated that way with those in power, and there's nothing you can do about it. And better than having lived for a while and now dead, better than being alive now under that system, better is the person who never had to experience it at all. That kind of thing can happen. And we, we remember back, at least in our history books, uh, World War II, Hitler, uh, the way he treated the Jews and others, and of course there's others, Mao and, and Stalin and Pol Pot, and we have seen this socialism, communism, dictatorships, uh, and, and we hear all the stories of what may be happening in, in China today, and it's awful. And we need to do what we can through voting uh, to make sure that doesn't happen here in America and to where we can make a difference in the rest of the world. And we must not be desensitized. We must not make this simply about politics. We need to realize how awful it is to experience that kind of oppression. And it happens. And we say, why, God? Why would you bring this about? Why would you allow this to happen? And how could we call that beautiful? Remember, we saw that at the end of chapter three. It's beautiful. It's fitting. Well, God has his purposes. And he brings those seasons into the world. And it's not our place to look back to the potter and say, why have you made me like this? Why have you done this? We submit to it and we accept that God has his good purposes in it. But we also mourn with those who mourn and we look at the reality of it and to whatever extent we can provide comfort and in a democracy, a constitutional republic where we can vote for our leaders, there's no excuse for us not to be informed and to, uh, to not vote for those who will stand for freedom and righteousness. That's why I said at the beginning, vote today. Maybe there aren't major elections in most of our settings today, but, you know, we voted for school board choices and, and read up on them. Uh, school board matters because what's being taught in our schools, that's, that's training up the next generation of people who were either on the, the uh, cultural Marxist side or those who really understand the issues and who stand for uh, 
the Constitution and the Bill of Rights and freedom, that kind of thing. It matters. Vote for your, for your uh, leaders of your school boards. Um, take your children out of the government schools and train them at home and teach them the right things. Um, this all matters. In, in America, we can prevent some of this. Uh, and yet, God will bring whatever season he chooses to. And so it's not an either or. It's not, you know, God's, God's uh, sovereignty and man's responsibility are intention. Um, we, have, we have a responsibility to do what we can and yet realize the Lord is going to do what he wants to do. And it's all good and beautiful and fitting, but it can be very, very hard. And we must mourn with those who mourn. Solomon goes on and uh, he looks at another aspect of the oppression here in verse 4. I've seen that every labor and every skill which is done is the result of rivalry between a man and his neighbor. This too is vanity and striving after the wind. Now, I've told you I want to help you understand uh, how to learn how to study the Bible. If you have the New American Standard, which is what I use typically, You'll notice here that the result of that little phrase in verse 4 is in italics. If in the NAS you come across words or phrases that are in italics, that is not for emphasis. That is to tell you that the, the words are not in, uh, in the original. They're not in the Hebrew. Uh, John Anglin says KJV. So uh, John would be curious to know in the KJV, does it use, does it have the words, uh, the result of there? Let me know if, uh, if there's something between that which is done and rivalry. So that matters because the NAS translators here are taking a, uh, a stand. They're saying that every labor and skill which is done is the result of rival rivalry. As though Solomon is looking out and saying, Okay, uh, the reason uh, that there is this um, uh, is basically he's kind of looking at what we would call capitalism and saying skills and labors are done as a result of this competition. So one man is trying to outdo his, his brother, his neighbor, and so his skill is promoted by this, uh, the, the result of this rivalry. And there's a sense. Now, I'm a capitalist. I believe capitalism is a biblical concept, uh, and maybe we'll talk about that someday. Um, socialism is, it will never work, and it's been the worldview, seemed like this whole whole discussion today is on socialism and communism. I wasn't really intending that, but uh, here we are. Uh, the communistic, socialistic worldview has been the excuse for great oppression. There's no doubt about it in the world. Um, I'm a capitalist. Uh, I believe the Bible teaches capitalism. But let's be, let's be honest here. The reason you can't have socialism is because we are sinners, right? The, the, the socialist mantra uh, of, of many, many years ago that uh, from each according to his ability to each according to his need. That's a good mantra. That's a good, that, that would be wonderful if that were true. So that everybody worked hard and they produced all that they could. And then all of that productivity was, was given to take care of everyone who had need so that uh, we all just loved one another. We all got along we all sought the benefit of one another, and we were not lazy, but we were hardworking and produced everything that we could, and everybody had whatever they needed. That would be wonderful if that were the case. That will never happen in a world of sinful people. 
So as uh, as the NAS here holds it, uh, has it the it's the result of rivalry uh, between man and his neighbor. It's kind of a knock against competition and capitalism, which there is some of that in capitalism. Some of capitalism is driven by greed, and, and we must not be. Um, uh, ignorant of that. Uh, John here says the Ecclesiastes 4.4 in the KGV. Again, I considered all travail and every right work that for this a man is envied of his neighbor. That's actually uh, a more accurate translation. Way to go, John, and the KJV. Uh, so let's let's look at it again here in the NAS. So if you take out the the result of then it reads, yes, I have seen that every labor and every skill which is done is between a man, is rivalry rather, between a man and his neighbor. Uh, and the KJV captures it correctly. It's about envy. So what Solomon's getting at is, you work hard, you're successful in your job, you, you make a good living, and you are going to find people who are jealous of you. You're going to find people who envy you. This is true in virtually every aspect of life. Uh, for years, my wife and I had a marriage blog and marriage ministry, and uh, we would get certain people uh, who constantly begged us to um, tell about our hard things, to uh, to make it clear that our marriage was not just perfect. Well, no, it's not perfect. We're, we're sinners. We had, uh, we have failures. We, we've had hard times. We've had arguments, all those things, but we didn't want to portray the hard times. We wanted to portray success because our marriage is really good and we work hard at it. And I work hard to be a good husband. She works hard to be a good wife. And we wrote about and, and did conferences and spoke on, on uh, how to have a, a really Christ-honoring marriage that is fulfilling and, and as wonderful as, as it can be with two sinners married to one another. And, and people didn't like it. There were, there were people who, uh, who opposed us uh, because they were jealous. They were envious. Uh, and they've been nasty to us. And tried to destroy our marriage and our lives because they were jealous of the joy and the happiness that, that we have in marriage. If you're successful in anything, there will be people, even people who claim to be Christians, uh, who will be, be upset that you are prospering and successful in that way. And, and it's, it's just evil. It's just wicked. You can be sure there will be people who throw stones at you, so to speak. Um, we see that in, in the wealthy today. You know, we, we take out the winners, we, we chastise the winners, we, we criticize them. If you're on social media at all, you see it, you hear it. Anybody who's risen to the top, it is, we, we, they have big targets on their back, and there are people who want to take them down. Uh, now, sometimes there's just cause, right? Sometimes they, they act like jerks and they, they egg on uh, opposition, but a lot of times it's just jealousy, it's just envy. Uh, Carol says the uh, ESV all uses envy also. Way to go, ESV. Um, uh, John says here that uh, some of the changes in NAS are harmless, others not so. Yep, that is, that is the case with every translation. Um, even, even all these translations that claim to be literal, there's no way to do a literal translation of the Bible. If, you've, if you know the original languages at all, at some point you have to make interpretive decisions. And uh, sometimes we get 
you know, too influenced by uh, by our theological presuppositions or other things, and uh, we translate it that way. I, I teach uh, Greek to our seminary students, and uh, it is eye-opening for them when they start doing the translating because they realize there's not just a one-for-one word correlation, and you have to make decisions. And it's so easy. You want to stress this point. You're so convinced the author means this, and you want to stress this point that you add things to your translation uh, that that aren't there. And I, I mark them off for that. I say, no, 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 that's not what we're after here. We we want to get the meaning as close as we can, but uh, you need to be aware of where you're making interpretive decisions that uh, uh, they're not helpful. And with it, when the context would allow either way, stick to the uh, the simpler translation. Anyway, that's a whole different discussion. All right, so Solomon sees this. He sees that uh, there's jealousy, there's rivalry, there's competition and envy, and uh, he says this is this is uh, chasing after the wind. This is this is that vaporous. That's uh, it's it's just evil. Uh, it's vanity. It's it's meaningless when uh, when men envy one another. Now, what do we? How do we respond to this then? Well, verse five: the fool folds his hands and consumes his own flesh. So the fool says, "I'm not going to be successful. I'm not going to uh, to have what they have. I'm going to do nothing." And he ends up with nothing. It's not better to respond to all of this by being lazy. Nope, work hard. But here's a caution in verse 6. One hand full of rest is better than two fists full of labor and striving after the wind. Uh, So the, uh, the option to all the envy and jealousy and oppression in the world is not to stop working. No, work hard. It's a biblical principle, work hard, but don't work too hard. Don't be excessive. Don't work 24-7. That will destroy you. There's a reason for ulcers and burnouts and and what we call uh, workaholism and all all that. Don't get caught up in that. Don't be lazy and have nothing to eat but your own flesh. And don't work so hard that you ruin your life. Uh, Better to have one hand, work with one hand and, and have rest, he says, then work with both hands and strive after the wind and cause your neighbor to resist you and to oppose you and bring all kinds of other troubles. And he will continue to, to come back to this theme. So the Christian work ethic is work hard. And we're told to, to make enough so you have some to give to others and, and make enough where uh, you're not a burden on others. But also enjoy life. Take time to be with your family. Take time to enjoy the fruit of your labor. Uh, my daughter has been working hard, and she's she's just getting into her niche in uh, in uh, being a sign language interpreter. And she was asking me the other day she wanted an Apple Watch, and she was kind of feeling like uh, she wasn't sure if she should get it. I said, get it. Uh, now it will help her actually in uh, in her in her work, uh, but also it's just it's something she wanted to enjoy. I said, "Yeah, enjoy it. We we should enjoy the fruit of our labor, not to excess. And and certainly we need to be generous, but it's good. That's what Solomon has been saying over and over again. Enjoy the fruit of your labor. That is a gift of God if you can enjoy those things. And yet at the same time, we must not be ignorant of what's happening in the world around us, the oppressors, the fools, the envy, the jealousy, all of those things. But what does Solomon keep saying? It's going to happen. The hard things come. 
when it's a time for celebration, enjoy God's goodness. When it's a time for weeping, then weep. And all the while, fear him, trust him, and know that better days are coming, if not in this life, then the next. Any other thoughts, any questions from uh, anybody who's uh, watching here, anything you want to chat about before we, uh, before we call it a day and, and get on with enjoying uh, our, our day? If you have any, anything you'd like to add to it or questions you want to ask, I've got a few minutes here. I'd be happy to engage with that. And if not, then we will uh, get out to vote and we will get on to working hard, but not excessively. And uh, we will see what good things the Lord has for us today. Uh, John says he's got a question. Yes, feel free to ask it and uh, and we'll take a look at it together. Um, you can see why some people would see, would read Sol, uh, Ecclesiastes once and find it uh, kind of discouraging. There's um, This is a sobering topic that we've talked about today. And we must not turn a blind eye to the oppression. But on the other hand, we also need to realize the Lord has... Uh, has prospered the West. He has prospered America. There is far less oppression uh, than there has been in the past. And so let's not lose sight of that as well. So John says, what of those who have lost their right to vote? Mm, interesting question. And maybe you can clarify a little for me. Are you talking about um, uh, prisoners maybe? You're talking about those who have lost their right to vote because of uh, illegal activities, and are you asking if that's uh, is it, if that's moral, or I'm not really sure exactly uh, what what aspect of this you're asking. Um, it does raise an interesting question: is it uh, is it the right thing uh, to do? Okay, so he clarifies and says, ex-cons, etc. Is that the right thing uh, for them to lose their right to vote? Um, well, what are the arguments for that? Um, so it's it's part of our justice system that uh, for certain crimes, you suffer the consequence of not being allowed to vote. Is that an unjust law? Um, you know, I don't know that I've ever really thought that through. Why? Uh, why would that be unjust? You have violated the community. Uh, you've committed this crime that is, uh, is a crime against the state. It's a crime against your fellow citizens. Uh, and part of the consequence of that is you lose your voice in determining what the laws of the land are. I don't see anything inherently unjust about that. Um, now, I suppose it, it could depend on what your crime was. There might be some crimes that, uh, that ought to cost you that right and others not. I don't know. That's, a, that's an interesting question. Uh, what would be the arguments on the other side? What is it that uh, might cause someone um, to say, no, you shouldn't lose your right. You're still an American citizen and you should just suffer the consequences of what you've done, but it shouldn't extend into areas like voting rights. Yeah, that, that would be interesting. Um, yeah, I need to think that through. That's, that's interesting. I, 
as, as much as I've thought about some of these things, I haven't really given that too much thought. Uh, John follows up here and says, even manslayers were given safe cities by God. That's true. They were, there were cities of refuge where they could flee, but they weren't safe if they were found guilty of murder. If it were um, manslaughter, if it were... Uh, uh, if it weren't premeditated, well, let me put it positively. If it was premeditated, if it was what we would call first-degree murder, then even the cities of refuge was not a safe were not a safe place because the capital offender, the the first-degree murderer, was to be executed, even in the old covenant law. So it was a, play, a place to flee, so that uh, the the manslayer couldn't just come. The the uh, the uh, what's it, what was it called? Uh, the one who who had the right then next of kin who could come and, and take you. He he. It was to protect the one who hadn't committed first degree murder. But if it was proven that it was first degree murder, then he was to be executed. So, uh, the city of refuge there would not be an exact parallel. Interesting question. It's uh it's worth um it's worth thinking about. John follows up, and for the record, I'm okay with capital punishment, Old Testament law. Yeah, and I am too, not because it's in the Old Covenant, because I don't believe we're under the Old Covenant, but capital punishment is very clear even back in Genesis after the flood and narrative, and and we can get into that sometime. Thanks for the uh, question and for the discussion. Folks, uh, we're going to call it a day. Uh, Enjoy your day. Please the Lord. Fear him. Celebrate if the Lord is blessing you. Take time to mourn when it's time to mourn. Be aware of real oppression. Don't be duped by the uh, false oppression mantra of our culture. Uh, Get out and vote and have a blessed day. And tomorrow we will continue our study of Ecclesiastes.